download the vibes. Oh, my voice is breaking. That's how excited I am for another week here at the Hoop Genius Podcast, brought to you by NBA 2K24. Myself, Mamuti, alongside me as always, the three-time NBA champion, Mr. BJ Armstrong, and the GM extraordinaire, Mr. Scott Perry. How are you both doing? Doing great, Mo. Doing great, guys. Good to see yeah. you as always. Yes, Mr. We got parking lot Perry back there. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? Hey, I, you I know. just came for the, I just came from the parking lot shooting a few jumps. Yeah. So, yeah, you gotta keep that going. You gotta keep that going, you know. You gotta keep that going. I mean Exactly. You know, it's great to have Scott back on the show once again. You know, the show's getting mad love. A lot of people tuning in, a lot of people talking about it. We appreciate you all. All you guys out there paying attention. It's all love. Don't worry. It's all love. But uh, we're going to talk more NBA. And uh, we've spoken about Zach Levine, you know, and, and the trade rumors and whatnot with Zach Levine. But if the Chicago Bulls are to block their roster, one player we've not spoken about in depth is DeMar DeRozan. BJ and I, we touched on it earlier last week um, about how he's a free agent this summer. But the reports coming from Sam Amick of The Athletic are saying that he's more than likely going to be moved before the trade deadline. And if he is to be moved, his preferred destinations are Miami and New York. Do you guys have an insight or a prediction as to where you think he'll end up? Because I'm assuming that it will be at a place where he would want to re-sign this summer as well. I think he he will be a free agent. I mean, be a a, a person of a, a lot of interest to a number of teams who are in the thick of the playoff uh, race. If if in fact he is uh, uh, he becomes available to be traded. I mean, Demar Derozan is an excellent basketball player, man. I've uh, really admired this young man his entire career. He's averaged over twenty one points a game for a career. He uh, is, stays available. He, you know, he's been relatively healthy uh, the majority of his career. Six-time All-Star, three times All-NBA. He could be a guy that helps uh, become that third option, if you will, on some of those teams that you mentioned, whether it be a New York or, or Miami. Uh, you know, I would imagine that the, a team like the Lakers could be interested in him. He has proven the ability to score and score in the clutch and close games. You know, he's not a volume or considered a, a, an excellent three-point shooter, but boy, is he lethal in that uh, that mid-range area. He can draw fouls, and uh, I, I think he's just a really good professional. And, you know, he's 34 years old, and I think what teams will take into consideration is trying to figure out how much they think he has left. Personally, I think he has a good two to three years left it playing at a, a, a you know comparable level to where he's uh, at right now. So uh, I'm really excited. I don't have any information on who uh, would be <clears throat> the lead in going after him, but uh, I really like this player, and I think he could help take a team that's uh, in the midst of that race and, and, and make them even stronger contenders uh, for a deep playoff run. Whenever I think of DeMar, DeMo- DeMar DeRozan and – Seems just like yesterday, Scott, I was watching him come out of high school out here in L.A. And suddenly now we're talking about a what he's got, what, 15 years or so probably now in the NBA. But the thing that always stood out with me then is and was his professionalism. He was a pro when he came into this league. And the best ability is availability. And you touched on it there. He's available. He plays. 
He's been scoring at a very high clip for seems like his entire career. But more importantly, I think this player could be a key contributor to a championship caliber team. So I'm looking for him around the trade deadline to really be targeted by teams who think that a player like DeMar could push them over the top. You know, um, you know, a team that comes to mind, for instance, would be maybe the Minnesota Timberwolves or some team that really feels that they have a chance. So, you know, this is the first I'm hearing of a player like him becoming available. Uh, we've talked about and we've touched on here, seem like every week for the last two or three weeks about the Chicago Bulls, who is going to become available and what direction they're going to go in. So, to hear that his name is out there, maybe this is triggering the rebuild that we've all speculated on. But I think that would be a good player to target if I were a team, especially right on the brink, because he's a player that could push you over the top. So let's dive into some of these teams that you guys have mentioned. Let's start with the Timberwolves that BJ mentioned. How would you like the fit of Anthony Edwards and DeMar Rosen? Because they're both players who need the ball in their hands. They're both players that can get cooking in the mid-range. And as Scott alluded to, DeMar's not really a player that's going to spot up on the three-point line and catch and shoot a whole bunch. So when you get into contending for a championship, especially in the playoffs, you're then taking the ball out of Anthony Edwards' hands. How would you fit both of those guys into a team? Well, I don't know that you have to take the ball out of Anthony Edwards' hand, per se. I think, again, you know, that's where your coaches uh, uh, become heavily involved in creating the offensive structure that allows uh, each of those play, you know, to maximize each of those players' abilities. So uh, anytime you get two really good players like that together, uh, it's incumbent upon those coaches and the players themselves, too, to figure it out. And I think they can, can really coexist uh, because Anthony Edwards, can, he can score from all areas of the court, you know, whether it's threes, mid-range, getting all the way to the basket. So I think that would be something uh, that they could figure out. Yeah, and the reason they come to mind is is when you have a a terrific player or what I would consider a, you know, Anthony Edwards to me is now he's moved into that top or elite category in the NBA. Tell, tell them what you text me the other night, BJ. Well, he's I can't remember what he texted you. Well, we he, text each other. BJ a said times. he's top two guards in the NBA right now. Yeah, top he's two. A, he, yeah, he's a he's a top five player. He's a top five player now in the NBA of where he, where he's performing, not only individually, but look at his team now. And he's carrying on that responsibility. And when players perform and they ascend, I like to acknowledge that because in the end, you know, when you have players that actually contribute to the bottom line and they're able to incorporate their individual talent, that's, that's an art, that's a growth. So when you see a young man that's growing and he's ascended now to that level, this isn't like a fluke. Now he's doing it and, you know, he's he's making his mark. I want to acknowledge that because it's all about taking that word potential off of your off of your name. And the reason I think that they could play together is because. One, this is one of the things that has to happen with any team that's trying to ascend the 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 offense in the playoffs is all, always going to become stagnant because of the how elite or how good the teams are as you advance through the playoffs, right? The second round is going to be more difficult than the first, so forth and so on. At some point here, you have to have multiple players who can play off the dribble. And if there's one thing that I see 
with the Minnesota Timberwolves is with the exception of Anthony Edwards, who's the other player that can, that can consistently play off of the dribble? Because you're going to need that player at some point to surface. So with that, Anthony Edwards, you're going to have to defend. You're going to have to double team on me. And if you're going to double team him, that means there, there will be an opportunity for another player to create off the dribble to, with, to keep the defense honest. Okay, So you have Jokic, for instance. But Jamal Murray, suddenly now you're playing one-on-one basketball with, which is almost impossible with a player who can play off the dribble with that level of creativity and what he does. So I'm not saying that they should make a trade because clearly they have something going there right now. But as the defenses become more familiar with their style of play, they're going to need another player who can create utilizing the dribble to break down the defense in order to keep everything honest. So um, I, I would, I, he just comes off the mind. I have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. There. This is another thing that I was just thinking while you were saying that is with midseason trades, especially when it's a contender trading for a team, uh, trading for a player, is there a danger of rocking the boat too much? You know, we've seen in season trades work when it's for a role player, like a PJ Tucker type player, but for a player of DeMar's magnitude, for example, the Timbles, they spent last year figuring out this. I know Cat was injured, but they've kind of taken a season to figure out this fit with the two seven-footers. Would adding in, because you've got to expend significant salary and then adding in DeMar DeRozan hmm. affect the balance of the team too much? Maybe not just for the Timbles, but for any team that's a contender, trading for an additional piece like this. Do you run the risk of having to start from scratch all over again with the coaching and the system that you're playing? Well, I think, Mo, this is it leads to a very important point. This is where teams have to really know themselves. It's incumbent upon you as a front office and coaching staff to know the personality of your basketball team and what type of personality, if you were to trade for someone like this, would that personality fit along with the skill set? So there is the issue. Um, and BJ talked about, you know, his professionalism earlier. And I know I had touched on it as well. When you trade for a professional player like DeMar, who's a, who's a good guy, who, and especially at this stage of his career, you know, it's all about winning for him. You know, he, he, he hasn't been able to make it to a finals yet. He's played in an Eastern Conference final, but he, he wants to try to win a championship. So I think, you know, you factor that in as well. So you're going to bring a player in who uh, more than likely is going to be very amenable to fitting in with what you have there and then figuring out, you know, where he can assert himself. But again, this you know, when you make trades at, at this point of um, at that point of the season, you know, close to the trade deadline, you know, while, you know, you point out there may be some sort of risk it's less of a risk if you really are comfortable, confident, and know uh, your basketball team. And that's your job to know that. So uh, that, that that's what uh, this brings to mind for me. Well, you mentioned the Lakers as one of the teams that might be interested in him. Do you think adding DeMar DeRozan to the Lakers gives them that extra edge and will take them up to clear contender status? I think it, it, he definitely wouldn't hurt him. It you know, depends, again, you know, what do you have to give up for him? But obviously, you know, you're just talking about a big three of he, uh, LeBron, obviously, and Anthony Davis. Take some of the 
pressure off of both of those guys in terms of being able to, to close a basketball game. You know, he can go get his own shot uh, when needed. You can run some things for him uh, uh, at key times of the basketball game or to even close out a game. So um, he definitely wouldn't hurt their prospects from where I sit. Uh, and, and I think he would uh, be a very um, strong addition to that team and, and to their uh, uh, desires to, again, make another deep run in the playoffs. You know, the two teams that he had on his list as the kind of preferred destinations was Miami and New York. If we start with Miami, how do you like that fit? Imagining it's a trade of some combination of Duncan Robinson's salary, Kyle Lowry, and uh, and some draft picks. How would you see that working for the Miami Heat? Because they've been, well, I want to say surprisingly good, but when you know the Miami Heat, it's never surprised, especially the rookie, Hamie Hackers, who's been unbelievable. Um, how would you like that fit with DeMar, Jimmy, and Bam? Because that doesn't leave a lot of three-point shooting on the court. That could be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, the the three of those guys, again, love those players you mentioned, and, you know, Jimmy Butler and, and Bam Adebayo. But, and then you add DeMar to that, you got three guys that kind of play in uh, the same areas of the basketball court. Uh, so that could be a little bit challenging. But uh, they've got, in my estimation, one of the best coaches in the NBA and Eric Spolstra. So if they went after him, um, what that would signal to me, if Miami got involved and were interested, that they are very confident and, and know a way that they could make it all work. And uh, I wouldn't doubt them if they if they did that because uh, they've got a track record of success uh, dating back to when I first started in the league, which was 23 years ago. BJ, we know you love defense. How how would you feel about that fit defensively? Because Demar's not the greatest defender uh, by any stretch right now. Uh, I say that respectfully, but how would you imagine that defense working over there in Miami? Because Bam can't do everyone's job for them. Well, at this stage of of my career, you know, I've been able to play against teams that were coached by you know Coach Pat Riley. Now he's an executive. And he has seen, he has seen, as Scott alluded to, whatever he's doing, it seems to work. So I'm not questioning anything he does down there. Okay. You know, he, he can, whoever he takes it, whatever he finds, I may not understand it. But what I know is that he's consistently won. They get to the finals with guys who aren't even drafted and they're consistently continue to do this year in and year out. So if he says DeMar is the guy, Mo will show up to the finals and we'll see the Miami Heat and we'll say, well, <laughs> because if it's one thing that we know is consistent, the Miami Heat are going to win. So, but what I will say is that I think DeMar DeRozan is a, a terrific player for any organization. He's a pro's pro. He's a professional scorer. So the last time I checked, guys, I, as much as I like to talk about defense and understand it and respect it, last time I checked, the you know, whoever scores the most points still is going to win the game. And that I know DeMar can do, <laughs> okay? And as Scott knows, he's, he's smiling here. You know, I, I love scoring too. I just, yeah. you know, I just, I learned to appreciate winning as my career advanced. But uh, DeMar can score that basketball with the best of them. And if Pat Riley says so, then I'm all on board. 
Mm-hmm. And BJ just channeled his inner Will Robinson. I know we talked about <laughs> Will before. <laughs> Will Robinson used to always say to me, he said, he said, the scoreboard is up there for a reason. The team with the most points wins the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only true. way that Will Robinson can say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say that, but like the other team on his list, the New York Knicks, You've got mm-hmm. Julius Randle, you've got Jalen Brunson, you've got RJ Barrett. If they were to make a move for DeMar DeRozan, you would have a bunch of guys operating in the same area. Do you think that fit would work? How would you like the look of that? It's it's the same thing that I said about Miami. Again, you, you, you'll you have a number of players that operate in the same area. You know, Obviously, Jalen Brunson, excellent in the mid-range. Julius, excellent mid-range, getting to the basket. RJ gets to the rim, but you know, Jalen Brunson is shooting well over 40% from three. RJ Barrett is shooting close to 40 right now. I think he may have dipped slightly below uh, over the last uh, couple of games and Julius is capable. So um, again, that will be incumbent if, if they decide to do that again, and all those three guys are there um, and, DeMar uh, joins that group, then it's going to be incumbent upon uh, Tom Thibodeau and and staff to figure that out. And uh, how do you get those your four top players on the court uh, along with Mitchell Robinson and you, you figure out the, the best offensive path. But uh, uh, sometimes those are uh, <clears throat> high-level problems to have and you, you may rather have that high-level problem than not. BJ, is it too many cooks in the kitchen if that trade was to happen? Well, if you're going to make a trade with a player that is a, that is as impactful as DeMar DeRozan, you're going to have to give up something. So I would venture to say you're probably going to have to give up one of those players that Scott mentioned, right? <laughs> R.J. Baird, Julius Randle. I don't think Jalen Brunson is going anywhere. Nope. And that's going to change the dynamics of your team. Okay? So... You know, we're talking about, you know, acquiring this player. And that's what makes it interesting with the Miami Heat. You know, I don't think Bam and Jimmy Butler are, I think those are two untouchable players. And I don't think that changes the dynamic of your team. However, if you're talking about with the Miami Heat, I would argue that one of those players that are currently in their big three or big four, however they want to look at it, that's going to change. And that's going to change the dynamic of their team. So I think going to Miami, I mean, going to New York would really change their team drastically because you're now trying to incorporate 20 points into your team midseason, and you're going to need that 20 points. Whereas in Miami, you're just adding on to their core group, their core two guys. So, but you know that those are things you have to you have to address, and that's what makes it fun. I think it's a good problem to have, clearly. But in looking at the situation, you know, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Brunson, and these guys, these I think Scott is correct. They all operate in the same area. And then now you're trying to put the pieces of this puzzle together. And that's a that's a big move. That's a big move for me, in my own personal opinion when you start adding a player and taking another player out midseason and saying, we want to push and can, and really compete for a championship or advancing in the playoffs. I think that's tough to do. 
Well, I mentioned, you know, Miami have been surprising a lot of people with some of their performances, but I wanted to hear from you guys this week on what is the biggest surprise of the NBA season so far? BJ, I know you love to have 25 games to take account of everything, but we're coming up to almost 20 games now as we're recording this. Most teams have played around 18 games. Um, So what's the biggest surprise for you so far this season? Well, I'm going to go right back down there to Florida and talk about those Orlando Magic. They, they're on a nine-game streak as we're recording this. I, I mean, I just didn't see this coming, guys. I mean, I, I, I like their young team. Scott, as you know, when you're putting together young teams, you never know when they're going to take that jump. You, you, you try to give them all the resources, the coaching, the development, and all those things. However, you never know when it's going to translate to the bottom line. And in, in this case, in professional sports, is winning. Guys, I, I didn't have them as we speak. They're second in the Eastern Conference. They're not only playing well at home because you want your first thing in your process is you want to be able to defend home court. Well, not only are they playing well at home, they're going on the road. They're beating teams consistently. They're not, this isn't like they just had a good week and showed you a glimpse. Suddenly now you're saying, if they do this for the month of December, Guys, we are like light years ahead of schedule, okay? <laughs> I didn't see this one coming. However, give them the Orlando Magic credit, give their staff credit, more importantly, give those players who are performing and competing. And it is very difficult with, to have young players, when you're developing a lot of them, to figure out chemistry and playing well. And somehow, some way, they've done that, done that down there in Orlando. So... That's been my surprise team. I love yeah. it. I love it when I see young players coming together, playing. They're playing with a joy and passion for the game. And now suddenly I'm looking at them going, okay, here we are. I didn't have them in my top four or five yeah. in yeah. these two I, I mean, guys. Mo Wagner said yesterday, he said, you know, <laughs> this is not a surprise to him because ever since they started this project about three years ago when he got there, um, Jamal Mosley had them all playing like this in practice. It was just a matter of times before the wins started stacking up. Uh, Scott, can you speak on, you know, Coach Jamal Mosley and what he's been able to do and, and everything that's all good with the Orlando mm-hmm. Magic right now? Yeah, first of all, um, you know, to kind of piggyback on what BJ's been talking about, what I see with the Magic right now, you know, when you start winning like this, you, you can see the belief now. This When this team shows up, whether it's home on the road, they believe they can win. And that is a huge thing in this league, especially for a young team. You know, going into this season, um, I thought they were going to make a step. I agree with BJ. I didn't see them going to number two this quickly. And, you know, obviously, <laughs> if they're going to sustain that. But I did think they were going to be a team that could creep into that top eight, you know. So maybe mm-hmm. they were in the plan in the beginning to play their way in uh, to the playoffs. But, you know, Jamal Mosley does deserve a tremendous amount of credit because what I've watched him do over the last number of years is he hasn't been afraid to hold each and every one of these players accountable from Paolo on down, regardless of where you drafted. But he also has never buried any of those young guys either. So if a young guy was going through a tough period, okay, his minutes may have been cut but he never was afraid to go back to them. So I've, I see this confidence that he's instilled in the entire basketball team. And, um, and it's, and it's really paying off right now and his ability and his willingness to not um, shy away from 
going back to guys. I mean, so many times I've, you know, watched in this league over the years how young players can lose confidence and, and then a coach will just bury them and he may never come out of it. I have not seen, you know, again, I'm not there every day, but from where I where I sit and looking from afar, I have not seen that with any of those young guys. And that is a hard, hard thing to do in this league. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. So, and I think it's paying off uh, uh, with this basketball team now. And uh, those guys believe they can win. And it's a, it's a fun story to follow. Now, obviously, they can't win every game. But, BJ, you know, you say if they can do this for the month of December, you look at their December schedule. And, you know, the toughest opponents are the Celtics, the Bucks, And in the month of November, they've already beaten both of those teams. They even beat the reigning champion Nuggets as well. So, I think, you know, if they keep playing like this, the sky is really the limit and they could absolutely shock the entire world by the time the regular season comes to an end. Scott, which team was the biggest surprise or what trend is the biggest surprise for you in the NBA season so far? Well, I'm going to go to the Western Conference as well, but really it's reflective in both. Just the the parody. Uh, I mean, we've talked a lot about Minnesota here earlier. I thought they were going to make a step, but they're sitting at the top of the Western Conference, you know, um, and two of the early season favorites in the Clippers and Golden State are down like 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. And so that speaks to the, and you know, then you have a team like the Houston Rockets has surprised early that people probably wouldn't have had in the top, you know, above Golden State and 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 uh and the Clippers at this point. So the parody is uh really something to <clears throat> Uh, behold right now again it's still a little bit early but I think it's going to be there for a while because the the conference is strong you know top to bottom Um, I mean you know obviously you got the defending champions out of the west and uh, the Denver Nuggets but you know Sacramento has proven that they weren't a one-year wonder they're going to be around they're going to be good Dallas has improved this year Uh, OKC another young team I thought they would make a step but again just like we mentioned with the Magic for them to be set in second or third in the Western Conference right now is a little bit surprising. So uh, this is going to be a knockdown drag out for for 82 game season. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch and it'll be interesting to see who uh, ultimately comes out, out top and who ultimately secures a, a berth in the playoffs. Absolutely. Um, you touched on what my my surprise that I've seen so far is just there, the Golden State Warriors. You know, in my, in my humble opinion, when the Chris Paul trade happened, I thought, you know what, this could be good for them. Because now you can play Draymond and Steph together in more minutes, have Chris Paul coming off the bench and running the squad, giving those young guys nice looks. However, the season's not gone too well. Now, aside from Draymond being suspended and a couple of injuries, I know Gary Payton second is injured now and Andrew Wiggins slammed the car door on his hand or something, so he's going to miss a little bit. But what's going wrong in Golden State right now? And how are you looking at things? Because, for example, Moses Moody's been playing very well, but he just doesn't seem to get that trust and that run from Steve Kerr. So what are you guys seeing in Golden State that's the cause of them right now sitting, if when we're recording this, they're currently 10th with a record of 9 and 10, so they're below 500, which is a big surprise to a lot of people, given that they were champions just two years ago. Well, I think you said it right there, Mo. They were champion two years ago. Age catches mm-hmm. up with everyone. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. that's just what it is, what it is, right? You, those, those three players have won four championships talking about Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson, but they've played a number of games. Now they're probably well over a hundred games in the postseason. 
of what they've been able to play over their career. They've played another entire season, more than players, probably in the same time span, in a condensed amount of time as they are aging. That's tough to do, Bo. So now they're pro probably, as you mature, you depend more on your experience, <laughs> yep. more than your preparation, because now there's a fine balance of what you know and what you're capable of doing, because it's going to take those guys more time to recover and play so forth to get through the regular season. So I think this is to be expected. I think Coach Kerr knows that they still mentally, they're still locked in. However, you're trying to help these players as they age and mature to get through the regular season. And this is the fine balance in between yeah. there. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. So this is to be expected. However, if you put them in a seven game series, I still feel they they think they're they're confident that they can get through it. They, but they the, gotta get the to problem the seven is game they got to get to the seven games <laughs> seven seven game and getting exactly. through the so, and getting exactly. through the regular season is going to be tough for this team as they're currently constructed. So Steph is doing a great yes. job of dodging father time. You know he's still playing at an insanely high level. However, one player that's really catches a lot of my attention is Clay Thompson, because Clay Thompson throughout his career he's been one of the most calmest, one of the most coolest players. You know always, always just you know staying in his lane. Whereas now this season, you see him on the bench, very frustrated when his shot's not falling. You know, you see him sitting there and it's visible that the frustration with himself. Obviously, the pending uh, or, or maybe not pending contract extension and those discussions that are going on. Scott, from a front office perspective, how can having that hanging over your head affect a player's performance? Them not knowing where they're going to be next season or if they're going to still be with the team, given that he spent his entire career with them so far. You know, first of all, Mo, you know, I don't know Clay Thompson personally. I've watched him from afar, you know, going back to his collegiate days. Tremendous amount of respect for this young man. And, and as BJ knows, I am partial to two-way players. And he's been one of the best two-way guards in the league for a long time. Um, you know, we all know about his shooting prowess. We all know uh, about his ability to defend. Unfortunately for him, just, you know, a couple of seasons ago, he started to have a couple of major injuries uh, to his lower extremities. And I don't know, and again, along with the aging process, if he's all the way healed. I don't know. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. And I have to believe, again, and he appears to be a guy because, you know, when you play at the level he's played at and had that kind of success, you know, there's a perfectionist quality to you. And when it's not going the way you want it to go, I think you get frustrated. So I know a lot of people want to talk about the contract with him, but he's been in the league a long time. I, you know, personally, I think he will work through that or whatever it is. And I don't know all the dynamics of the relationships there to, you know, you know, the whole negotiation thing. So I, I don't want to say anything that would be, you know, off kilter there, but I do think, uh, from where I sit right now, most of it uh, is just stemming upon him being the perfectionist that he is, having played at a great level for so long. And when it doesn't manifest itself on the court, you know, it's human nature to, to, to be hard on yourself and you want to get there. He just needs to have that breakthrough game, breakthrough week 
to get to the other side. Uh, I think that will eventually come for him this year. And then when that comes, I think any angst about the contract will probably subside as well, too, because then he knows he's, you know, back to playing the way he's capable of. The team is comfortable where he's at. And then everything will work itself out in in the very end. Well, it it raised a question in my mind, um, not regarding Clay Thompson specifically, uh, but I just wanted to know, because we know the NBA is a business and oftentimes Mm -hmm. tough decisions have to be made in, in the business of basketball. But from your 23 years of experience in the NBA around various different front offices, how much does the personal relationship with a player, um, you know, we were just talking about Clay, who spent his whole career in Golden State and brought them numerous championships. But how much does that weigh in when they get to the older stage of their career and, you know, staying with the team? Because we saw, for example, Danny Ainge trading Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to the Brooklyn Nets before they retired and managed to get some draw picks and stuff in exchange for them. Uh, but how much does that kind of personal bond and history a player has with a franchise weigh into contract negotiations when they're getting towards the end of their career? Because, you know, your friend Kendrick Perkins said on ESPN this week that Clay wants the max. I don't know. I don't know what exactly Clay's looking for. But, um, you know, if we're going to if if we're going to talk about older players and players who have had injuries and whatnot, still be looking for higher salaries. How much does a personal relationship weigh in or is it just straight numbers? Oh, look. When you're building uh, a sustainable team or uh, culture, if you will, I think it's hugely important that you have very open, honest communications with your players at all times. From the time they enter into your organization until the time they leave or, you know, whether they leave via free agency or they leave via you, you know, not resigning them or, or, or trading them, if you will. So I think that's what is most important here, that there's open dialogue, uh, whether it's in any, in, in, in that's, that's my experience. And being honest with the player, what you're thinking and what you see at the time. And you may be at two different points and that's fine. You know, there's an old saying, we can agree to disagree a little bit, but we can do that respectfully. So, uh, you know, ultimately as you, you know, finalize what you want to do with your roster, you have to take into account a lot of things. Your past performance and what they've done is important. But when you're signing a player to a new contract, what you're saying is what level is he going to be able to play at on that new contract? So you have to figure out what that number is. You know, is is it a max deal? Is it less than a max deal? And you got to be very open and, and, and honest with the player and his representation to as to where you see those next three, four years that you're negotiating the contract, that player's uh, ability to be able to play at a high level and impact winning at the same time. So that's, uh, to me, no matter what team you're at, that is, that's at the core and crux of the issue. Well, Scott. We see you shining on ESPN, and this week we saw you standing on business. I believe that's what you guys are talking about, right? Yeah, we got to stand on business. Yeah, you got that's, to. That's and, and you know that's... who stood on business this week? It was the player that I said I was watching last week on last week's show. I said I'm keeping an eye on the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williamson. Then he went into Philly and put up a near-perfect performance, not missing any shots on his way up to a 33-point game. So it's that time of the week where I've got to ask you guys, BJ, who are you looking at this week 
And, you know, which players or teams are you focusing on? Well, I'm I'm focused this week on the Memphis Grizzlies. Big Bismack in the house, huh? Yes. I'm, I'm focusing <laughs> on the Memphis Grizzlies because what I'm really eyeing is the return of John Morant. Okay, yeah. within probably seven, the next two weeks seven or Seven games so, from the time of recording now. Yes. He will be returning there. And somehow, some way, they've been able to win five or six games. The player down there, Desmond Bain, I mean, he's really showing me he has a little something extra, mm-hmm. especially offensively off the dribble, which I didn't really know. Um, I don't know him as well as many or some other players in the NBA. However, he's done a terrific job. Of course, we know Jaron Jackson Jr. And they've been able to piecemeal this thing together and kind of just keep themselves, you know, five, six, seven games or whatever under 500. But you're going to yeah, get they, that they injection. They had a horrible start, but then they went four and six in their last 10. So but it's starting to get better. But they're going to get this injection with John Morant and his energy. Hopefully they'll get Marcus Smart, the best defensive player in, in the, the entire universe. league. In the universe, according to Mo. <laughs> yeah. They'll get him back on the court. And then we'll see what this group can do. So I'm, I, I've been giving them kind of just checking in on them because there is a lot of parity, as Scott mentioned. And the thing that is that is really kind of, you know, I, I, I've really kind of caught my eye is no one yet, Scott, has separated themselves from the group. No team. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Yep. And that's kind of interesting to me that there isn't a front runner. Normally you'll have four or five teams that will say maybe have a chance. But when you look at this year, 20 games in, you're saying – there's probably 10 teams right now thinking, hey, man, we get X, Y, and Z. We get healthy. We can win this thing. And that, right. to me, is interesting with already like a quarter of the season gone by. Okay? Right. So right. we'll see how this works. But I, I'm really eyeing John Morant coming back, and uh, they're kind of the team I'm really looking for, looking towards mm-hmm. here in the next week or two. Mo, uh, well, Mo, I'm going to keep the Hoot Genius podcast <laughs> eyes Squarely focused on the New Orleans Pelicans. So Stay they're gonna be my team this week. Exactly. I'm 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 following your lead. See, you 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 the lead GM, right? I'm not exactly so no, yeah. I'm, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting exactly, for the exactly. Detroit to open up. I'm waiting for the John Detroit to open up. You know what I'm saying? But I'm gonna watch it because now they're getting back healthy. Um this last night, um Trey Murphy's back. Opened up really pretty well, had 18 points. Yes. Uh uh CJ McCollum is back. Uh and we, you know, Zion Williamson, I want to continue to watch him because he's he's been healthy, you know, knock on wood for him and for the league, if if you will, to keep watching his ascent. I think they're currently in the eighth slot. Can they uh make a push and how uh, far up they can move the ladder on the Western Conference side. Big game this week in Sacramento for the in-season tournament. How they going to ha- handle that one game and out uh, tournament atmosphere. So uh, that's going to be a game I'm going to watch very closely. But the Pelicans have a lot of talent. Um, there's some physicality there, obviously led by Zion. Uh, and so uh, they're, they're the team to watch this week, and um, and and we'll see next week when together if they if they follow through and if they continue to ascend upwards. What I'm looking for this week is not a particular team. 
It's not a particular player. This week I'm looking... Or is it this week? Yeah, it must be this week. The in-season tournament core finals. That's the 4th and the 5th of December, right? Time is just flying mm-hmm. by. I'm looking to see, do those games have a playoff-type feel? How bad do those teams want to advance to Las Vegas? That's what I'm looking out for this week, is how much is really at stake in these matchups as these teams advance on through throughout the competition. That's what I'm going to be looking at. Uh, and we're going to see how hotly contested those are. BJ and I, we gave our picks uh, earlier this week. But Scott, do you have a prediction for who you think is winning this inaugural in-season tournament? Ooh, that's tough. But um, I'm going to pick one maybe a little outside the box. I don't know. I wouldn't say it necessarily outside the box. But they've been playing pretty well lately. My man Kevin Durant is coming back. I'm gonna go with the Phoenix Suns mm-hmm. to come out. I'm gonna go with the Phoenix Suns. You got uh, two of the best offensive players that this league has. Um, and they've been playing well. Devin yeah, been they, they, yeah, yeah, Devin yeah, Booker's playing awesome. And he's throwing you know, dimes. I know. I, we all know well. what Kevin. We all know what Kevin Durant can do. Uh, so I'm. I've got my eyes on Phoenix, and uh, I'm gonna see if they can. Uh, Come on, now they're gonna be the road team. Uh, this first game out, but uh, let's uh, let's see where that lands. Uh, and coming out of the East, um, it's gonna be you know difficult. But you know Milwaukee Bucks. You know, anytime you're in this kind of NCAA tournament kind of ap- atmosphere, you know they've got one of the best players in the world in Giannis Antetokounmpo, Antetokounmpo and they got a clutch player and one of the top guards in the league and Damian Lillard. They've got home court. And Middleton's starting First to look game. like himself. And, and, and Middleton is starting, you know, to, to play a few more minutes. Uh, so I, I expect to see Phoenix and Milwaukee okay. uh, in that final game. Well, they got to face your New York Knicks in that first quarter final before. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, no, it's tough. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm, you know, I'm pulling for my Knicks, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, though. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it's not just the core finals this week. I was mistaken. The championship is coming up on Saturday. So the yes. entire in-season tournament will conclude this week um, before we do next week's episode. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how all that goes. BJ, from your perspective, if you were playing today in the NBA, the mid the in-season tournament, would you be looking at these games as a regular season game or would you be looking at it and trying to go and compete as it's something extra? Well, that's a that's a I don't I don't really know. I I've I I I try to think about it, but I didn't my mindset doesn't work that way. Cause you know, 82 games was just I had to get through the 80 team game schedule. However, I would like to think that I would have been professional about it. And you know, I I I, I would like to think that the veterans who kind of gave me the mindset of what I was going to need to get through an 82 game schedule that I approached every game as best I could, regardless. But it appears to be that more emphasis <laughs> are being placed on these games than the regular season game. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's intentional or if that was the goal. But it seems that the coverage for an in-season game, like there's more intensity or more importance on that game. I don't know if that's the right way to look at it or not. However, that's what it appears to be. So I tried to be even keel. Um, you've heard me say this, Mo, I never got too high 
I never got too low. I just had to get through the 82 games. And then once you got there, then I could zero in and really magnify what needed to happen to advance in the playoffs. This is a new way of thinking to me, but I, I don't I don't know. But I would like to think that I would have showed up and played it as hard as I could hey, every game. Mo, BJ's leaving out one important thing. Now, if he was in this final eight, he's a lot closer to that 500,000. It might have been a little bit extra now. That was more than my <laughs> entire salary when I got in the exactly. league. So exactly. I don't even know how to think about that. Like, that's what I'm saying. This is a whole, you know, like they're like, well, I mean, you know, to, to think yeah. the money that's being talked about today as compared to back then. So, again, yeah. this is a new... This is right. a new shift for me altogether, but that wouldn't have hurt. I would have figured exactly. that out too. That too. Yeah. Yeah. BJ, I know you. I know if there's 500K on the table. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you say, most secure to what, Mo? Secure the gotta... bag. Yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> Well, we're going to be locked in all week, and Scott will be back with us next Monday for more from the Hoop Genius Podcast. BJ and I will be here every single day throughout the week to keep you guys updated with everything you need to know from the NBA. So make sure you subscribe. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to everyone who supports the show. Thanks to everyone who tunes in. Scott, BJ, thank you both for joining us once again. Thank, thank you. you so much. Great. It's all love. We're going to be back exactly. with more. Exactly. You don't want to miss it. The, the season keeps getting better and better. So we're going to have to see how things shake out. So take care. Until next time, get buckets.